0: Hello and welcome to the podcast Tech Marketing Trends. My name is Jacob Lohmerbram. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as a podcast host for this podcast. And today we're going to talk about the Martech industry and trends within CDP and best practices for 2023 with an expert in this area, David Robb, who's a Martech expert, founder, and running this CDP Institute. So with that very, very short introduction, welcome to our podcast, David.
1: Jacob, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to have a little bit of a, you know, MarTech celebrity with us today. So we will pick your brain on what's going on in the industry and so forth. But for maybe a few listeners who haven't come across you or the CDP Institute, maybe you can just briefly tell us about who you are and what you're up to.
1: Certainly happy to. So my background is as a marketing technology consultant for many, many years. I was a working marketer uh, before that. The CDP Institute was founded in 2016. Uh, I actually named the CDP category in 2013, and I've been talking about it ever since. The mission of the Institute is to educate people about customer data management in general. So our Job is to go around and talk to folks and help them to understand what they need to do, do a better job with their customer data, and, and hopefully how customer data platforms can help them.
0: Yeah, awesome. And this is such a big area. And, you know, we're targeting marketeers here, and I can probably talk for every marketeer that it is a hassle to keep up with all the data and the CRM and the Martech stacks and things like that. And CDP for as you said, people haven't heard the term before. It stands for Customer Data Platform. And, you know, the software we use to centralize customer data from various sources. And maybe you should just give us the one-on-one description of what is the CDB category and maybe name a few of the vendors in there. And, you know, give us a few least just what we're talking about here that is the Institute's, you know, focus, so to say.
1: You are so... Customer data platforms are a class of system that that build unified customer profiles. We have a formal definition, um, but basically the impetus for the industry was that marketers really struggled to bring together all their customer data, which is in different systems and traditionally not collected Uh Many companies have a data warehouse or a data lake that brings together some of that data, but those are usually not designed for marketing purposes. They're designed for financial reporting or other kinds of analysis. So, uh, again, back in 2013, when the category began to merge, what we saw was marketers kind of getting frustrated and saying, you know, we need our own system to do this. And vendors stepped up to that and built a single system that combined the features of a data warehouse and a data lake, and uh, identity resolution, and in many cases, even execution and analytics. So, they could at a minimum give the marketers access to that data. That's, that's the key thing. Now, many of the vendors, actually about three quarters of the vendors, actually do more than just build profiles. They also include analytical tools and delivery tools like email campaigns and things like that, which uh, from our perspective is optional. It's nice to have. Again, most of the vendors do have it. Most marketers, especially if you get into the B2B and tech spaces where the resources are relatively limited in most cases, they tend to be smaller companies. You know, They'd rather have one system that does as much as possible. Um, in B2B and tech in particular, what you do is you run it up against the CRM system, which also often has some of those capabilities and there is where things get interesting because people get confused. I have a CRM. Why would I need a CDP? Uh, And I have a data warehouse. Why would I need a CDP? And and the answer to that is neither of those systems really brings together all the data and makes it available and then shares it with all the other systems. You you might have data brought into your CRM, but only the CRM can deal with that data. So that means that your marketing automation, for example, or, or your web personalization doesn't have access to that. And that's not good because now you have multiple systems that are personalizing, but in different ways with different rules. It's a lot of redundant data storage, a lot of redundant effort. So the, the notion of the CDP is one system that all the other systems can draw from, making life simpler in many ways.
0: Yeah, great. Uh, what are the low-hanging fruits for companies that haven't looked into the CDP so far? Where should they start if you just give them Starting point, maybe a company, you know, having a single CRM system, but they feel, as you said, you know, it's not covering the whole 360, and there's data islands in, in different areas. Can, can okay, no. give it an example.
1: Sure. So, well, okay. So, the typical use case might, for example, be to uh, retargeting. So, I want to take the visitors to my website and I want to share them over to my email system, two different systems, Uh, and maybe I even want to look at some of the CRM data associated with some of those visitors so I can have a better notion of what the right message is for them. Now, I have three systems involved, CRM, email, and website, all different, not not traditionally sharing data. Mm. So, I could wire them together kind of manually, uh, or I can have them all feed into the CDP and talk to the CDP. So, when someone visits the website, the CDP is informed of that. Pretty much in real time. If I have a rule that says, "Okay, certain visitors should get some sort of a retargeting message," I can have the CDP send out to the email system, or to the CRM system, or to the advertising system. Here's a customer. Send them a message. Right, so that happens now in minutes, not in hours or days, which is the way it's going to work if you don't have it all wired together. That's a, you know another classic um, application is my call center people who are working on my CRM system want to, again, know what, what the customer has done in the other channels. What emails have they received? What uh, web interactions have they had? And again, the CRM system doesn't know about that. Uh, so, again, you want your, CR, your CDP to co- co- collect all that data and then actually put it up on the CRM agent screen in real time so they can actually see that so the CRM agent has a full picture of what that customer has been up to. Those are the kinds of things So the CDP use cases is almost always involves sharing data across systems. Yeah. I know the way, you know, it's a CDP use case.
0: So interesting. And, uh, how big database of customers or prospects do you typically need to have in order to, you know, have a good return investment on a CDP investment?
1: Um, well, actually I think your real question is how small yeah. you can you use? <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, there's a, because uh, you're right, they are you know, largely or primarily or most commonly used by large organizations with millions and millions of customers. Um, but there are some B2B uh, implementations that, that go down much smaller. I would say fewer than 100,000, probably not worth it. Um, and again, that's just a question of resources. These are complicated systems. They take a certain amount of work to deploy and to manage. No one should ever pretend that's not the case. It certainly is. So, And and frankly, it requires a certain amount of sophistication to get the value, even those retargeting examples mm. that I just gave. That's not a yes. trivial thing. It's not um, the first thing that a company does when they set up their marketing department. right? The first thing you're going to do is you're going to send out some email lists. You're going to do some advertising. You don't need a CDP for that. It's when you begin to get to the more sophisticated use cases that you need the CDP. And some organizations never get to those sophisticated use cases. And that's okay. You know, you do what, uh, as you say, is the low hanging fruit. And if the lowest hanging fruit is scraping on the ground and doesn't need a CDP at all,
0: yeah. that's okay. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, good to know because it is, uh, it is big, um, quite expensive systems in some cases. So just before we put on play here or recording, (laughs) we talked about a few of the vendors that uh, the CDP Institute are working with, and we have the big databases vendors in there and so forth. But who are a few of the, the vendors that you could name drop that typically do implementations of their systems? Uh, at this point, certainly all the big suites, so the Adobe's
1: and Oracle's and Salesforce's of the world, uh, have a CDP offering. Usually that is bundled in with their larger platform play. Um, so, again, that gets pretty costly pretty quickly, although some of them I think might have small business pricing or relatively small business pricing. Uh, and then there are a number of specialist vendors, so that would be your treasure data or a telium or a segment. Um, in Europe, and uh, you know, you're looking at a relay 42, for example, or Commanders Act out of France or, uh, there actually are quite a few uh, who are more special they just do the CDP, they don't have the big marketing suite. Um, you know if you really want to go down to to small business of sales Monago as a CDP offering, um, some of those guys as well. You know, Sometimes the CDP is kind of secondary to their other products, so you know, they're primarily an email system, but they also, oh, by the way, have a CDP, and so long as it does what a CDP does, which in particular means sharing data outside of the system itself, you know, we would classify it as a CDP, and it can do what a CDP does, which is help you to coordinate all of your systems across all of your channels. That's, again, the core thing. Mm-hmm. So you might have other systems that collect them, build customer profiles but don't share them externally, and they would not be classed as a CDP.
0: So interesting. And one of the things we will talk about today is is that your institute, CDP Institute, you create a lot of content and really research-heavy content as well. And I know you have this year dropped a quite extensive report on on the CDP space, and uh, you have a lot of great graphs in there and um, trends. So I think maybe we can transition into that and some of the insights that we'd love to hear you talk about based on the survey and the result from it. And I know if we just start on the budget side, since we we're into a little bit of the costs of these investments and so forth... Um, Uh, we have a question there about budget pressure and Martix selection. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what you're finding. Where about that, you know, since we are in some kind of slower economy right now and so forth. So have you seen any changes in these areas?
1: We have, and just to give some context, every year we go out and we survey our members, I think the first survey was 2017 may have skipped a year here or there, but Mm. it's a pretty long. Uh, data series, which is very intriguing, so we can see uh, you know, growth in in unification of data, which is a good thing, and we can see how different segments are doing it, and so on. The interesting thing from this year's report was that there was much more budget pressure showing up in our questions about where obstacles were. Um, and the other trend that we think was related to budget pressures was people selecting more often based on the cost of the system as opposed to the features of the system. The cost went up as a selection criteria and features went down Mm -hmm. as a selection criteria in terms of how often people cited them, Uh, which unfortunately is not a good thing because another piece of data that we collect is how satisfied people are with the results of their marketing technology Mm -hmm. investments. And we have seen a very strong, consistent relationship between people who select on cost, which is they're less satisfied, and people who select on features, who are more satisfied. So, when we see more people selecting on cost, we say, you know what, we're going to see more people who are dissatisfied with their results of their investments, because selecting on cost is a bad thing to do. And come out and say that very, very clearly, do not do that, folks uh it's in many ways the least important factor right you know yes obviously money is important but if you get the wrong system it's not going to matter that it was cheaper you're not going to get the results that you need and the, what's important is the results which is why we always 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 stress select on features select on the features that you need which means you have to understand your use cases uh, and again that's another topic that may People kind of get bored about hearing about because all vendors uh, selection experts ever talk about his use cases and they're like, yeah, I got, it, I got it, I got it. But in fact, they don't got it. And too many people will say, ah, oh, my needs are very typical. So I'll just select the most popular system, probably does what I need. Uh, and that is not a good idea. Your, your needs, even though your needs may seem similar to everybody else's, you have these little nuances and those little nuances are not necessarily supported by the most popular systems so you really have no choice but to dig into the details because you're going to do it two ways you're going to dig into the details before you buy or you're going to open that system up the day after you buy it and you're going to start to do your work and you're going to find out oh my goodness it doesn't do x and i just assumed that it did x because why wouldn't it do x well it turns out it doesn't do x and yeah. then you're unhappy because now you've already bought this thing and it doesn't do X and you need X. So-
0: You need to lend it for years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody's had that experience, but they still do it. They still yeah. make the same mistake.
0: I agree. That sucks when we find out and uh, we always try to, you know, save some money But uh, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Another thing I thought was quite interesting uh, was that one of the questions was, the MarTech department, and if people responding to this were in the marketing department, the IT department, or how it was going there. But it seems like a, a MarTech in itself department <laughs> is growing quite rapidly now in the in the organizations, uh, members of the CDP Institute. So can you talk to us a little bit about the organizational side, how to organize?
1: Uh, Yeah, there was a huge growth, again, going back, comparing past the five, since 2017, so five years now, six years now, uh, in the number of people who said they worked in MarTech. And you you always have to look at the survey audience and you're never too sure how much of it is just who you you surveyed and how much of it is the underlying universe. But uh, certainly we saw a lot more people listing themselves as, as belonging to MarTech as there had been previously. And there's no question that tech departments are becoming more common. Look at other surveys that other people do and you see the same result. So that's generally a good thing because uh, you have now this resource that is under the control of marketing, but includes people with technical expertise. So it lets them make sure that the systems that get bought serve marketing needs, not simply technology needs. If you let the technology people, the IT department, make your selections, they have their criteria, cost being you know, high among them, but also things like security and things that are very important and no one should ever ignore, but they make, make some compromises because they don't understand, again, the features that marketers need. So they say, well, you know, this system has got great security. The price is good. This is the vendor that we work with. Uh, sure let's, let's use it and, and and the salesperson says it'll do everything the marketers need um let's buy that one whereas if a marketing department or a martech department is making the selection they'll say well let me look at these features here i know what i need let me see which of these you do and which of these you don't do and you'll find out either it doesn't do at least some of the things you need or in order to get the things that you need you have to buy other components that makes the cost suddenly much higher than you would have seen it was going to be.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I th- find that uh, a little bit fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> last year we had a virtual event, uh, or actually, in the last two years, we have uh, had a webinar or virtual event called RevOps. Do you still see, <laughs> and then we talked about RevOps, which has a similar meaning as, as the MarTech department, you know, taking on the IT ops role of running the revenue-related software and so forth, but do you think the name of the department is Martech or is it RevOps or where do you sit? Is it sitting and where is it sitting under which manager?
1: (laughs) So, um, there are different things, first of all, okay, because you have RevOps, which would include marketing operations and sales operations and arguably even service operations. Um, so, RevOps is a broader category. Uh, it's going to mirror probably the company organization. If you have one head of revenue who who uh, is in charge of marketing and sales and, and service, you'll probably end up with the RevOps department. If you have if those are separate departments, all reporting to to the CEO, perhaps, uh, you'll probably have separate marketing and sales and, and service operations. And either works. Uh, again, the, the important thing is the users get what they need The higher up. Op- you place that control the further away you are from the end users unfortunately so the harder you have to work to make sure the end users really get what they need so rev ops being a little more removed and usually rev ops is dominated i believe by sales most companies certainly most b2b tech companies sales kind of is the dominant um and, and that's fine and that's as as it has to be um but marketing may not be fully represented or well represented. So you have to make sure that all business users get what they need. And you know, in my background, as I said, it comes from marketing. So that's sort of whose uh, side I tend to take. But uh, sales has their needs, service has their needs. They all need to be met.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So, what was your biggest in uh, you know surprise, insight, or takeaway from the survey when you? Concluded, the result.
1: Well, actually, the thing that worried me the most was what we've already discussed about the um, the new stress on cost, and again, just because that just seems like a recipe for disaster. And mm. if nothing else, we would like to prevent disasters. Um, there are a couple other interesting findings in the survey. You know, one was for the first time ever, the number of people reporting that they had a unified customer database went down. It's always gone up in the past. And again, that's where we get into questions about sampling and all that. But for sure, I think we can say there's been a slowdown, at least in the growth of unified data, probably for budget reasons. We've certainly heard from many people in the industry that sales cycles are slower and people just aren't buying as quickly and moving as quickly. There was a lot of progress during the pandemic as companies digitized, uh, which forced them to, to make progress in unification. And Some of that's pulled back a bit, I think, so that was uh, surprising, and again, not necessarily the most delightful finding to have, but that's what the data says. Uh, And The other thing is much more subtle, Um, so it's more of an insider issue, but we found again correlating answers with satisfaction. The companies that were specifically looking to empower business users with self-service kinds of capabilities, actually came up as less satisfied with their results than companies that weren't doing that. And that was totally unexpected because, of course, everyone is in favor of empowering business users. Uh, And we dug a little deeper because we actually had asked a couple more questions about self-service. And what we found was more specifically that companies that were asking the business users to take over... Model building, a very complicated technical function, were not really doing that well. Whereas companies that were at, that were empowering business users simply to create segments and extracts, a very simple function that marketers do understand, had a high satisfaction level or a higher satisfaction level. So it wasn't self-service is bad, which would have been the, the 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 top line reading for that, but it was. If you ask your business users to do more than they're really capable of, to take on a technical task that they're not equipped to take on, you're going to have a problem. So so you have to be careful and kind of thoughtful in the ways that you apply self-service. And I thought that was uh, an interesting finding, again, just because people tend to, oh, self-service is good. Let's make everything self-service and that is not really the most effective strategy. So that was an interesting little unexpected finding.
0: So interesting, yeah. And I, I suppose we in, in companies tend to go that way due to the quite number of systems we're using and, and uh, launching in the organizations these days. So uh, it, it's a simple solution to to need, but as you say, it might <laughs> backfire and actually create more chaos or, or less user uh, benefits than if we actually take care of it and, and roll it out in an orderly way. And I suppose ever since Salesforce launched, you know, say it's a software as a service, it's so easy to start a new system, but taking care of it, running it, training people, having some experts on it who can set it up and things like that, that's, yeah, that's. That's not easy, and should not be everybody's uh, task. So great insights there. And for those of you who haven't downloaded the report, cool. I can recommend to go to cdpinstitute.org and download it and uh, read about it there. And uh, I-, I have learned a lot here, David. It was so great. And uh, yeah, now I mentioned CDP Institute, but. Uh, where can people learn more of your content? Do you have more places, or where do you blog, and where do you, you know, create your content?
1: Uh, well, CDPInstitute.org definitely is the place to go. There is, as you say, a very large library of papers. We have a number of interesting little self-service tools, like a use case generator and RFP generator. Uh, we publish the reports that you talked about. We have some uh, on-demand courses. To learn about things like use case development or um, vendor selection best practices that are free uh, and and quite comprehensive so there's a great deal and we have a blog and we have a daily newsletter If if you sign up for the institute you'll get that uh you can opt out although i don't know why anyone would um and you know so that that's primarily uh where we we you know, I do have on my personal blog, but to be honest, I haven't been writing much recently because the institute keeps me very busy and uh, and gives me a way to a place for my opinions <laughs> to, uh, to appear in print. Yeah. That's very important.
0: That's great. And uh, do you have any last recommendation or insight to send with us as a parting guidance for uh, marketeers who might wonder? if they should start looking into the CDP journey?
1: yeah, I think, you know, the question to ask yourself is what can I not do today that a CDP would let me do? So what are the projects or the programs I would run that require me to access data across different systems? And if if I have a number of those and they're important, that's really the reason you buy a CDP. If for whatever reason you don't have that issue or those issues, Maybe a CDP is a little less critical for it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. I'm so happy we could have this interview with you. Um, I wish you all the best with the CDP Institute. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you.